It is a joy to, to be with you and to open God's word with you while well, Pastor Daniel is gone, and so I don't uh, often get the opportunity to, to preach the word, and, and so it's with joy that I come, and, and I, I have the, um, the tradition of preaching through psalms, and um, this morning I've chosen songs that just hopefully will, will prepare our, our hearts to, to receive the word that God has for us, and even as I was preparing uh, this morning, I, I jotted down a couple, just a couple statements on the top of my page here that were more for me, but even as I've thought about them this morning, hopefully they could be for all of us. The, the first one is, as we think of Psalm 23, is know the shepherd. And so my goal this morning as I, as I share with you really what God has been teaching me over the last couple weeks is, uh, is just how, how I have gotten to know the shepherd that I love to know how he has loved me, how he cares for me, how he comforts me, provides, protects me. And so as I share with you, I just want to communicate well that I hope that as we leave, you would know the shepherd as I do. And then secondly, a note to myself that maybe in a, in a funny way could also be for all of us, and it's don't rush. Don't rush. So if you're like me, when I get excited about things or I have a lot to say in a, in a short amount of time, I tend to talk fast, or I tend to skip over things, or even start four sentences at the same time and not finish any of them. And so, so for me, it's, it's just a statement of, hey, don't rush, Mike. And so for you this morning, as we, as we open God's Word, as, we, as we've come into this room, into this place, let's just put aside all the distractions and the things that are going to happen when this service ends, that are waiting for us. And let's just spend time getting to know the shepherd and to walk with him. And so those are, those are two of my, my goals for myself, but also hopefully that we all would have. Uh, this morning we're going to look at perhaps the most familiar psalm in all of Scripture, but maybe even the most well-known Bible passage. You could go to anywhere in the country and, and say, The Lord is my shepherd, and they'll finish it with I shall not want. It's, it's preached or quoted regularly at funerals, hospitals, even on battlefields. You can read it on wall hangings, buy it at Hallmark and sympathy cards. And so it's, it's easy for us to read it, to hear it, and, and gloss over it. What I'd like to do, even as we begin our time this morning, is to, rather than standing together and reading God's Word, We've just heard a song about it. We're going to sing a song after our sermon and communion that talks again about the Lord being our shepherd. But as our Bibles are open to Psalm 23, let's just take a few minutes. And there, there's a, um, a worship ministry out of North Carolina that put, to, put together an album of psalms. And one of the psalms that they put together is Psalm 23, Bible put to music. And so as we begin to dive into what it means to know the Lord is our shepherd. Let's just take a look and read and listen to God's word being sung to us. Let's watch a short video. Amen. Let's pray together, giving our time to the Lord. Father, we love you, and we, we recognize that, that we are a people in great need this morning, and, and uh, many things fight for our time. And so even as we, over the, over the next few minutes together, open your word. Lord, I just pray that you, would, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would recognize you as our shepherd, the one that gives us all that we need in order to glorify you. 
We give our time to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know my shepherd? I'd like to just break down this, this chapter. We could spend six weeks talking through this marvelous book, but I'd like to just break it down in kind of a high-level overview of the book in three sections, as one, many commentators have done. The first, the first section is, uh, is divided by, again, it's all kind of divided on how David uses his pronouns. The first section, section three, uh, is the picture of the shepherd. And in, this, in these three verses, one through three, we'll see how David is talking about God, who he is, uh, what he has done, what, uh, what he wants to do. And then in, in verses four and five, we'll, we'll look briefly at the plan of the shepherd. What's, what's his agenda for us? What is he up to? He switches from talking about God to talking to God. And then lastly, as we conclude our time this morning, we'll look at verse 6 and we'll see the promise of the shepherd. David finishes the psalm how he began it by dropping the, the you, talking about God and rather, talking to God and then talking about the Lord again and his hope that he gives for all of eternity. So as we, as we look at that way, look at the text in this way this morning, let's look at verses 1 through 3. And the picture of the shepherd. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In these three verses, there's three truths that that we see about the shepherd. The first one right there in verse 1, as we we saw that statement, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. The term there for the Lord is that that David uses is, is Yahweh. The, the covenant-keeping God, the God who is sovereign over all things, who, who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, the Lord God. The Old Testament is filled with different descriptions of, of Yahweh, Jehovah. In, in the Old Testament, we see Yahweh Elion, God Most High, Deuteronomy, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts in Isaiah. Yahweh Shema, the Lord, our presence is there. Yahweh Sid- Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness, our holiness. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Yahweh Mikadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provides. But here, David uses the, the Hebrew word, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I want you to get the picture. David chooses to use the Hebrew word for Yahweh, Yahweh-rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. As David considers his own life, thinks about his past, his experience, where he's been, what he's done, and he thinks about who God is, how God has worked in his life, he says, the Lord is. Yahweh-rohi is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It's that covenant-keeping God that nothing because of what we do, but because God is faithful to his promise, because God is sovereignly over all things in control, he is the one that will be my shepherd, the one that will care for me, the one that will guide me, the one that will protect me, lead me. Is with me. That's the, that's the God that David recognizes right at the beginning 
of this psalm. Who is my shepherd? The Lord Yahweh God, the covenant-keeping God, the personal God that comes near to me. One commentator notes that the temptation in ancient Israel was to speak only about our God, forgetting that God, the God of Israel is also the God of individuals. And for this reason, Psalm 23 is such a popular psalm because it permits each believer to take its words on his lips and express in gratitude and confidence that all the demonstrations of God's covenant of love are his as well. And so what does David say happens when the Lord is his shepherd, when he recognizes that truth? He says, I shall not be in want. Literally, I do not lack. In other words, I have everything that I need. Everything. And what we will see in the rest of this psalm is David showing us how the shepherd meets those need. Need after need, problem after problem. The shepherd meets those needs. A commentator says, in these six verses, David gives us a full picture of a shepherd's daily rounds. Walking, resting, feeding, facing danger, celebrating and returning home. That's what a shepherd does for his sheep. And David says, and that's what God has done for me. A picture of the shepherd. First we learn who he is. And as I say that, there's something I want to say right here at the outset of our time, and that is, that is this. Not everyone can claim Psalm 23. Now, I'll grant that everyone nearly does, but not everyone can. You see, in order to claim that the Lord is your shepherd, you must first be one of his sheep. You say, well, isn't everybody a sheep? No. There are some identifiers of the Lord's sheep, and this, this text doesn't go there, but the Gospels lay out for us clearly what an identifier, a trait of a, of a sheep of God's is. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So in order to say that the Lord is your shepherd, you first must have heard his voice and responded. First you've you followed him to the cross, recognizing he died as a substitute for sinners like you and like me. You must believe that the shepherd died for you, as, as he said in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as you hear that and respond to that, you must also follow him to the empty tomb, believing that he rose again from the dead. John 10, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. A true sheep of God's hears the shepherd's voice and follows him. And so only those who follow him like David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Spurgeon says it this way, the position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There's no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of this chapter. It is only after we read in verse 1 of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we can come to verse 1 of 23 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
Spurgeon goes on to say, we must experience, we must by experience know the value of the blood shedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the goods of the good shepherd's care. David had full confidence. He knew the Lord is my shepherd. Why? Because he heard his voice and he followed the shepherd. Secondly, not only do we see who he is, David goes on to say what he does in verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The first thing he does is he, he gives his sheep rest. Now, for those of us who've not been around sheep, you might say, well, what's so special about making a sheep lie down? I mean, they could just lay down that way, but um, that's not how sheep are. In fact, uh, one shepherd, Philip Keller, explains it this way. He said, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. He said they are this. One, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Two, because of the social behavior within a flock of sheep, they will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. Free from fear, free from friction. Third, if, if they are tormented by, by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of pests can they relax. And fourthly, they will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food, free from hunger. <laughs> Man, I think I'm a sheep, right? He concludes and says, The unique aspect of this picture is that it is only the shepherd himself who can provide release from these anxieties. It all depends upon the diligence of the owner whether or not his flock is free of disturbing influences. In, in the course of time, he adds, he has come to realize, this shepherd, that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do. And this applied day and night. So how is it that the sheep could lie down and rest and relax? David knows it's by his very presence with them. The gospel, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, Jesus writes. As our great shepherd, we know that he is with us as well. Not only does he give rest to his sheep, he also leads his sheep. He leads me beside still waters. You can't, you can't drive a sheep. They're not like cattle. They don't obey or respond like, like horses do, well-trained, go where they, they need to go, where they are trained. When I was young, I'll just share a brief story. When I was young, I had an opportunity to go to Camp Awana in Wisconsin. I was an overachieving little sparky and uh, got to go to the summer camp. And uh, one of the activities there was a horseback riding. And so they, they kind of have all the kids line up and they have the horses come out and so they are trying to match up the horse by the kid size. And so guess which horse I got, right? Shortest kid, shortest horse. And so they, uh, I thought, okay, smaller horse, smaller problems. 
No, not true. Um, this horse was kind of newer to the, to the corral, the whatever they call it, the pen, the cage. The, and uh, so he wasn't quite as up on what to do or how to, how to be led, how to stay with the group. So the, the leader, the, the head cowboy dude, kind of led, led the, the, the row of horses out. And, and I was the, the, the second one behind, like there was the leader and then a horse and then ours. So, but after a short time, as, as the whole pack was gone, the leader kind of went off another way. And the horses just kind of still kept going on, on where they, they were trained to go. Well, as soon as, it sounds nice and lovely, well, as soon as the 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 cowboy guy was, that's the technical term, was out of the way. Boy, my little horse had a grand plan. It was, it was free time in the, woo! And so we were out in the open field and galloping away and me being the experienced city of Chicago cowboy that I am, seven years old, uh, I was, I was kind of freaking out a little bit actually. And uh, I had no idea what was going to happen. My horse was on its own. But quickly, as the other horses would just continue on their way, when the, when the leader saw that, he came with such a distance away, but with one sound of his, his voice and command, that horse stopped where it was and went back to where it needed to go and followed. All he had to do was give the command, and the horse responded. Sheep aren't like horses. In fact, I've heard that sheep have no sense of direction. They don't recognize landmarks. That they, they don't even know where you tell them to go, to go there. So they need to be led. I, I'm told that, that sheep's eyes, so their eyes are maybe right here on their head, and they don't work together, and they're both kind of that direction. And so, so if you're standing right in front of a sheep and looking them in the, in the eyes, they don't see you. They might smell you or, or maybe hear you by their ears that turn, but their eyes are going this way, and so... So they need to be led. They are totally dependent on their shepherd, not just when they are little, but from birth to death. They need a shepherd. And so when God's word calls us sheep, it is not a term of endearment. It's not meant to flatter us, but rather to remind us how absolutely dependent we are on our shepherd. Where does he lead us, David says, besides still water? Not just water, but quiet waters. Why? Because for a sheep, rough water is dangerous. One slip and they fall and their, their wool is saturated and they, they sink like a rock. They're afraid. Noise unsettles them. But since the shepherd knows his sheep, he leads them to just the right place. Not only does he do that, but he also restores his sheep, it says. He restores my soul. There's time Times when our souls need to be restored. We are, we are cast down. Psalm 42, David writes, Why are you downcast, O my soul? That word is the same word used here in referencing a sheep. Oftentimes, you'll, you'll hear the term a cast sheep. It's one that's, that's turned over on its back and can't get up. Here's how it happens. A, a overweight, long fleece sheep will lie down comfortably in a hollow or depression in the ground. It rolls on its side to stretch out or relax. And suddenly the, sunny, the center of gravity in its body shifts so it can't turn back far enough to get back on its 
feet on the ground. It begins to feel a sense of, of panic and paw frantically. And before you know it, it's like a cockroach with his legs up in the air. It's quite impossible for it to regain its feet. It's in these times of helplessness that a cast sheep will oftentimes die unless a shepherd intervenes. The shepherd that I mentioned earlier writes, I would see it at a distance, down on its back, lying helpless. I'd run to the downcast sheep, put it back on its feet, thereby restoring the sheep to life. Sometimes people who love God get so down, downcast, that they can't get back up. They try with all their might, but they can't do it on their own. And in time, left to themselves, they begin to lose their zest for life. It even happened to David at different times in his life. But there's hope for the downcast, the psalmist writes. He restores my soul. The, the verb there, restores, is written in, in present tense. So it's not a, a past thing that happened, but rather it's a present tense, meaning that God restores, again and again, restores my soul. When I fall and I can't get up, guess what? God, my shepherd, restores me again. He did that in David's life and can do that for us as well. Fourthly, he, he guides his sheep. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name. Sake. The goal of the shepherd is to see his lamb grow quickly and become healthy and mature. Shepherds will constantly be on the lookout for nutritious pastures of where their sheep can eat quickly and be filled up. Because the sooner that they're able to rest, they begin to grow and mature. Keller says that on a good forage, his lambs would commonly reach 100 pounds in weight within 100 days of birth. But if they are not, a hungry, ill-fed sheep, on contrary, is always on his feet, always on the move, searching for another mouthful of forage to try and satisfy its gnawing hunger. These sheep are not contented. They don't thrive. They're no use to themselves or their owners. They languish and lack vigor and vitality, he writes. David testifies of a shepherd here. He, he guides me. David didn't live life by his own plan. He simply followed his shepherd. The question I asked myself as I was looking through this is, am I following the shepherd this morning? Am I, if I evaluate my life and where I'm wanting to go, the plans that I'm making, am I following the shepherd's plan for me? Am I allowing him to lead me and guide me where he would want me to go? We see what, Dave, what the shepherd wants. So David tells us about who the shepherd is, what he does. And third, we learn what he wants. Verse 3. He leads us, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Two things. One, in paths of righteousness. God's agenda for us is our righteousness. God will never lead us into a path of unrighteousness. He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't lead us in a way that would violate his word, go against his character of who he is. And so when, when you think or you hear another person say to you, well, I, I've prayed about it, and I believe that God is leading me to and they say something that would be contrary to what God's word says, God is not leading that person. 
God leads his people in paths of righteousness. Why would that matter to God to lead us in righteousness? Why not let us go and choose as his sheep? It's because his agenda for us, his goal, his plan for us is ultimately the second statement there, for his namesake. You see, God cares for us greatly. But we, we, he does not exist for us. But rather, we exist for him and for his honor and for his glory. And so when we think about pursuing his goals or his goal for us, first it's our righteousness. And secondly, it's ultimately his glory. The glory of his name to be magnified. He doesn't need us to do that. He desires for that to be true in us. All that he does in us is that which promotes his name and his glory. That is why he leads us in paths of righteousness. That is why he has the authority to take decisive action when we choose paths of unrighteousness. He does that for his name's sake. Is there anything in your life that's not bringing honor to the reputation of your shepherd? And it's not what we think might be. It's what, what does God think? What, is, what does his word say? God is very concerned about his reputation, particularly in the lives of those of us who claim to be following him as our shepherd. So that's section one. We see who he is, the picture of a shepherd. Let's look at just briefly the plan of the shepherd. What is, what is he up to in our lives? How does he work as we think of the life of David and what he shares here? He writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. First, we see that, that our shepherd may take us into dangerous circumstances. The journey with the shepherd is not always easy. The valleys are often long, low points, challenges, even dangers. We know that Christ has defeated death, and we who know him share in his victory. But still we face death. And at times, our shepherd guides us right into the very shadow of death itself. But thankfully, he doesn't leave us there, but rather takes us through it, through the valley of the shadow of death. As I've thought about just what that means through the shadow of death, I, I've just thought really personally about my life and, and how I've dealt with, with death personally over the last uh, year and a half. I've, I've been thinking a lot about that and, um, and just have grappled with its reality. So when I, when I come to a verse like this and I read what David went through, here's, here's one thing that I can tell you firsthand, that when it, when it comes to dealing with the reality of death as we all 
have to deal with, even the shadow of death. It makes all the difference in the world for the sheep to know that the Lord is their shepherd. When we're grieving, when we're, when we're hurting, fighting bitterness, the Lord is our shepherd. What does that mean? He, he goes on and he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Secondly, he takes away our, our fear. So he may take us into dangerous places that can harm our soul, that could, that could drive us from him. But he takes away our fear in those valleys. Spurgeon said it this way, Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel. And the light of heaven shining down upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway, even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us not, therefore, be afraid. As the Lord's sheep, knowing that he is our shepherd, he takes away our fear. David said he did not fear evil. What made that difference in his life? Here's four things we see right from the text. One, he is with the sheep, for you are with me, it says. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hear that promise of the shepherd. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a difference that makes knowing that the Lord is with you. Secondly, he uses a rod and a staff to not only comfort his sheep, but even to offer protection. When I, when I think of a rod and a staff, I usually think of it for protecting, right? As the, the staff is kind of maybe hooking the animal and pulling it aside. I don't know, I'm not a shepherd. And then the, the rod was like this kind of a club that they would, they would beat, beat them the enemies, the coyotes, or the wolves that would come to get the sheep. So I'm trying to, trying to visualize in my mind, right? The sheep are kind of in this low valley. Their eyes are looking this way. There's kind of coyotes howling. Wolves are coming. They're probably like getting really scared. They can't see anything. And so their shepherd perhaps uses his staff and just, just kind of nudges them on, on the shoulder and they, and they rest knowing, hey, my shepherd is with me. Or it's, it's the, wolf, the wolves, the wolves, my wife would say, or I say wolves, uh, coyote come in. And so the shepherd, again, you, picking up his, his rod, he just kind of comes alongside and just, wow, and just kind of, blammo, gets rid of those enemies that are approaching. He used them for comfort, for, for protection. 1 Peter 5 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's reason for us to rest in knowing that he is with us. The shepherd, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Thirdly, we see he prepares a table before me. He dines with his sheep in the middle of enemy territory. 
This wording here, preparing a table, one commentator wrote that in summer months, a shepherd often takes his sheep into the high mountain country known as tablelands. In some of the finest sheep country in the world, the high plateau of the sheep ranges are called tables. One such table is in South Africa, Table Mountain. And he notes that this might be what David referred to as a table when it actually is an entire high summer range. Oftentimes the shepherd would go on ahead of his sheep and would prepare a tableland for his sheep, putting down seed and, and other minerals as, as kind of a, a strategic place for there to be no weeds and, and vegetation that the sheep could, um, could eat and rest. He's preparing the table for the good of his sheep even in the midst of enemies. Imagine David thinking about that, all the enemies that he had, Goliath and Saul, the Philistines, even his own son, Absalom. See that God eliminates those enemies and cares for us, is with us, provides for us, even in those. Fourthly, we see he, that he treats his sheep like royalty. You anoint my head with oil, my, my cup overflows. At the very first sign of, of pests on a sheep, oftentimes the shepherd will, will take oil or, or a, sometimes a homemade mixture like oil that he will pour over their head. A common pest is a nose fly. Doesn't sound good. But as, as the shepherd pours that remedy over, over the sheep's nose and head, an incredible transformation takes place. Once the oil has been applied to the sheep's head, an immediate change in behavior happens. The aggravation is gone. The, the frenzy is removed. The irritability, the restlessness taken away. Instead, the sheep starts feeding quietly again and soon lies down in peaceful contentment. He cares for them well. I will fear no evil, David says. What removed this fear in David's life we see he knew that the Lord was with him, that the Lord used his rod and his staff to comfort him, that he dined with him in enemy territory, that he anointed his head, treating him like royalty. How do you, how do you handle fear? Does it paralyze you? Does, is it something you struggle with? What was, what's the solution? Here's what David did. He got to know the shepherd. For starters, I just wrote down, get, get in his word every day. Get under his word every week on Sundays, sitting under its teaching from the pulpit. And then live in light of what we know to be true about who God is, how he cares for us. We see the picture of a shepherd. We see the plan of the shepherd. And then lastly, as David again shifts his perspective from talking to God or talking to the Lord, talking about him, we see the promise of the shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely he begins. What was David confident of? What did he know firmly? He knew that one day he would experience God's goodness and mercy in his life. 
for all of eternity. Number one, we see that we can experience God's goodness in our life. And there's a, there's a play on words there from the rest of the chapter. The, the whole psalm talks about the sheep following their shepherd, following their shepherd, following their shepherd. But at the end here, when it says that goodness and mercy will follow me, it, it switches it around to say that, that the one who's, whose shepherd is the Lord, he cannot escape God's goodness and mercy. The richness of God's love for us finds us, pursues us, seeks us out as his sheep. What a promise for the follower of the great shepherd. To experience the richness of his goodness and his mercy. Secondly, we will enjoy his presence forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he writes. You don't have to wonder where you will spend eternity if the Lord is your shepherd. You will not only experience God's goodness in this life and his, and his mercy, but as one of his sheep who follows him, you will be in his presence forever. If you don't know the shepherd, that is not a promise for you. And so this morning, as we close, I ask, is, is the Lord your shepherd this morning? I don't want you to rush by this, by this simple question. Just because we can quote Psalm 23, it doesn't guarantee that, that the Lord is indeed your shepherd. Three questions as we close and even as we begin to prepare for the Lord's Supper. One, do you know him? In order to claim the Lord is your shepherd, you must know him as your savior. Two, are you following him? God will not drive us. True sheep follow the voice of the shepherd in paths of righteousness. Have you followed him to the cross, having received forgiveness and righteousness? Have you followed in his steps? There's a hymn of old that says, In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Though sorrow befall us and Satan oppose, through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children along. Are you one of his children this morning? Is he leading you in paths of righteousness? And then lastly, are you resting in him. David could say, I will fear no evil, not because he was strong and mighty, but because he, he knew the shepherd. If you know the shepherd this morning, the right response and the privilege that we have is to find rest in him. He is in control over all things. I know that he is, he is my shepherd. And so my prayer and hope is that he would be your shepherd as well. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we know that that is only through the gift of grace 
that you offer to us freely that we can stand before your presence. And not only stand, but Lord, we can stand with joy, with confidence, knowing that we will be in your presence forever. And so we rejoice that you offer that gift to us. Even now as we begin to humble our our hearts, Lord, before your table, Lord, remove our pride, remove the things that keep us from giving you the rightful place on your throne. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we gather as well to partake of communion. So if our men are around, they could begin to make their way forward. But we, we remember this morning the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. And let me just say that the element of worship in our services we reserve for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And so while we invite all who are part of our church fellowship and our, our body, we also would invite those who are followers of Christ from other places. If you are a child of God, a child of His, we invite you to partake with us. Let me read from 1 Peter 2. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself, himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray for our communion. Father, even now we, we set aside these moments to reflect on your goodness to us, on your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, we are people in need of you. And so even now may we be reminded by the bread and the cup of the love you have for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Dying on the cross, coming back to life from the dead, reigning victoriously on the throne. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.